Chris Halgrimson is here again today. He was here about a month ago, maybe, and he's here again. What a blessing to have him here to share the word with us. So come on up, Chris. Can you hear me okay? Is it coming out? Okay. Good. I want to make sure you can hear me. And not that. Sorry. Bear with me one moment. Okay. Glory to God. It's a good day to be here. Every day is a good day to be here. Amen. You know, I want to say uh, service in the church or any ministerial organization uh, can become habitual. And we can get to a point where we forget why we're here. We get so caught up in serving, so caught up in caring for others that it becomes almost mechanical. And so when Pastor Ron and Pastor Vicki and I'll take the liberty to speak for Ted for just a moment too. Ask Ted and I to help out while they take some time. Do you know that takes a lot of fortitude? It takes a lot of integrity to be able to say, okay, we've got to hit the pause button and we've got to get refilled because we're serving and serving and serving. And we have to make sure that we have the capacity to continue to serve. And it's very difficult to, uh, in this world, to trust somebody enough to allow them to come into your church and talk to your people while you go get refilled. And so I just pray over Ron and Vicki, Pastor Ron and Vicki this morning, glory to God, yeah. that the Lord is meeting them where they're at, yeah. that he is restoring to them all that needs restoration, he is revitalizing what needs to be revitalized. Yes. Glory to God. And his overcoming peace yes. is overflowing now. Yes. That they would have sweet rest. Yes. Glory to God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We really care for Ron and Vicki. And uh, it's, it's special to be here and to share with you today. And I just wanted to, to pray over them uh, while they're still in that period of, of rest and revitalization. And it's so key. And so we're so pleased to be here uh, to, to uh, serve in any capacity. Now, I'm not talking just service for the ministers, the pastors, okay? There are those who serve in the church whether it's Bible study, special groups, door greeters, everything from where you come in to when you leave. And you want to make sure that the service you do is not the point of why you're here. Okay? The point of why you're here is Jesus Christ. And we need to keep our eye on the ball and not drop it. And so it's so good to see you here today. You haven't forgotten why you're here. And uh, today we've got a message, Jesus Anointed. And this is a very special message to me. This is something that the Lord revealed to me uh, not that long ago. And how do I want to say this? Well, Jesus was anointed three times before his burial. 
Now, some people will debate this because there are places in Scripture where they say this Scripture in John lines up with this Scripture in Mark, which lines up with Matthew. But when I read through them myself, I see different timelines, different hints at different times. And so I say he was anointed three times before his burial. Now, not counting God. Now, this is a different kind of anointing, okay? So God anointed Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, when I look at the anointing in the Strongs, so the word anointed, God anointed Jesus. By the way, all of you joining us on Facebook, hello, we're glad to have you here today. Uh, if you're in the Lawrence area and you don't have a church, Family Church of Lawrence is the place to be. So, anointed in the Strongs, used in this part, is creo, and it's a verb. And it's the idea of contact, smear, or rub with an oil that is to consecrate to an office or a religious service. God anointed Jesus. So, and that's not part of the three times that I'm talking about. That's, that's a different kind of anointing, right? And so that was very special. That was the kickoff to Jesus' ministry here in the earth. And it's the kickoff for our ministry here in the earth. And so if we look at Psalm 133, we see how God views us also. Okay, We're just as precious to him as Jesus was. Because he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head. There's that anointing. Okay? That runs down the beard, even Aaron's beard, and going down the collar of his garments. As the, as the dew of Hermon descends upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And so, you can see God's heart in this. He wants us to dwell together in unity, right? So much so that he's referring to the anointing, the anointing oil that was so precious at that time that it was reserved for certain people in certain ministries. It wasn't for everyone. Now, to talk about, you, know, you might say, okay, why is the anointing so precious at this time? If we stop and we watch, and here's what I want you to watch for in these next scriptures, okay? Watch what the people brought to anoint Jesus with. It's the key to everything, okay? So Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. It reads, and when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary. His mother, with Mary, his mother, excuse me, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Okay, this is not the anointing oil, but frankincense and myrrh do go into anointing oils. So, these are precious gifts that these oils were made from. It wasn't cheap. The process to make these oils back then was very extensive. And so, this was very, very precious. And we go on into Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. And it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house to sit down for dinner. Now, if you're not aware, the Pharisees were very educated, very religious. They knew the rites. They knew Scripture. They knew Scripture. They didn't know Scripture. There was a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that Jesus was sitting for supper in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of ointment. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. Okay, Jesus is at dinner. He's laid back on the floor for dinner. She's behind him, his feet are exposed, and she's weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And then she wiped his feet with the hair from her head. And she kissed his feet. And she anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, first of all, he was offended because he knew the woman. Right? He knew what kind of woman she was. And you see this in what he says. He says, if this man was a prophet, oh, well, now you're calling Jesus' prophetic into question. If this man was a prophet, and I can just see him being arrogant. Oh, if this man was a prophet, he wouldn't be near that woman or let her near him. You know, how holy is this man? Right? And he says, he would have known who and what kind of woman she is who is touching him, for she is a sinner, as if he's not. <laughs> I mean, you, sometimes it's okay to laugh in Scripture, all right? It, it's okay to, to chuckle when you see somebody whose pride and vanity and arrogance got in the way of what God called them to do. So... Jesus answers him. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, teacher, say it. Before you tell somebody, I give you place to speak into my life. Be sure you're ready to be spoken to. Because you may not like it. All right? This gentleman thought, you know, he's going to be praised or something. He did not expect what Jesus did or said. He says, a creditor has two debtors, the one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they had no money to pay, he forgave them both freely. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, what most of us would answer, I suppose the one who received more forgiveness. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly. 
Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Not what you see from the street. Not what you see in a worldly way. Not the sin in and on her. But do you see this woman? He says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Do you know it was customary that when you had a guest come into your house, you provided water to wash their feet with? You provided no water to wash my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman, this woman, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who sat at supper with him began to say to themselves, Who is he who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Simon wasn't the only one who sat there in pride and arrogance at being the religious Pharisee. There were others at the table with him. And so they looked on in wonder as Jesus did these things. But Jesus did them with power and authority. Something I want you to see and understand was at the end, he said it was her faith that saved her. Her faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Her faith moved her to enter Simon's place and to perform such a blessing, such an anointing on Jesus such an act of humility to know you're not worthy, but he is, and so worthy that you just can't help yourself. You've got to go and perform this. So it, let, me, let me look at the anointing in Strong's, the difference between them. So the second one, which was in that set of verses, it's a lifo. Now, this is to anoint with oil. It's to cover with oil. It's not the same as baptism, because baptism is submerged, right? So when Jesus was submerged in the river Jordan, he was baptized. When she poured the oil on his feet, she anointed him. There's a difference. Both acts are precious. It's important to know, notice, what did she bring? She brought an expensive alabaster jar of ointment. She brought her humility, which for most of us would cost us enormously, right? Can you vision yourself walking up to somebody, kneeling behind them, crying on their feet, washing their feet with your tears, wiping them with your hair, let alone doing it with a bowl of water and a towel? Most of us can't even envision that. And here this woman did it, and she did it 
out of the love of her heart for Jesus. In John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and I do believe this is a, a I'll just go into the scripture. So six days before Passover. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, who he raised from the dead. And they prepared a supper for him there, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a pint of very costly ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of ointment. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was the, anointment not, the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this because... He cared not for the poor, but because he was a thief. He valued the money. And that's why to him it was precious to hold the money bag. Because he valued the money. Side note, Jesus had a money bag. So when you hear people say Jesus was poor, he was broke, he was destitute, they're sadly mistaken. Because if you're broke, poor, destitute, you don't need a money bag. You don't need a man to carry the money bag. Okay? You don't. So, he said this because he cared not for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having the money box, he used to steal what was put in it, so there's enough to be stolen that it's not noticed that he was stealing. So it's not a light bag. Okay? It's not our lunch box where we go to work and you got one sandwich, an apple, and a drink. And if somebody takes your sandwich, you notice it. Okay? Somebody was stealing from the money bag and it was not noticed. So there's something in there. Glory to God. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me with me. With you, excuse me. Now I want to slide right into Matthew 26, 6 through 13. And when you finish up, uh, I believe it's in verse 5 on chapter 26, it mentions two days before the Passover. And that's why I think some of these are totally separate because you've got six days before Passover, you've got two days before Passover. And I don't believe they're the same instance. Okay, that's why I look at that differently. Um, so it says, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster jar of very expensive ointment and poured it on his head, not his feet, but on his head at supper. When his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, for what purpose is this waste? Again, we're looking at the value of the product not the value of the act. Is our service, the value of our service, what we're looking at? Are we keeping that before our eyes? Or are we keeping what's precious and holy before our eyes? 
So he goes on to say, when his disciples saw it, they were very indignant, saying, for what purpose is this waste? The ointment might have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. When Jesus perceived it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? She has done a good work for me. Take note. They weren't just discounting what the woman did. The value of the act versus the value of the ointment. They were discounting who she did it for. Okay? Because if they had kept their eyes on Jesus and the fact that he was the one, he was the prophet. He was the Messiah, the Christ. He was the precious thing that we need to keep our eyes on. If they kept their eyes on him, the anointment, the, the uh, oil would not have made a difference to them. They would have seen the precious act for what it was. Right? Glory to God. And he says again, why do you trouble the woman? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but you do not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel shall be preached in the world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. So you don't have to be great in the eyes of the Lord. You know, a lot of people get caught up in, well, you know, it's a great pastor, it's a, they got a great ministry, it's on television, it's whatever, this, that, the other. It, no, each one of us is precious in the eyes of the Lord. This woman made it into the Word of God, into Scripture for eternity because she found Jesus more precious than anything around her and she took the most precious thing she had and she anointed Him with it. So a question for all of us. What are we bringing to Jesus to anoint Him with? Are we bringing our best, our most precious? Or are we bringing what's available, what's handy, what's convenient, what's comfortable? And that was a lot of what the Lord was showing me when he, when he brought this up. And, and if you look at Cain and Abel, okay? Cain, and that's in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Cain just brought God what he had. He knew he had to make a sacrifice. He knew he had to make an offering to God. But he only brought him what he had. He didn't bring him his best. Now Abel, on the other hand, Abel walked with God. Abel brought his best. He brought the firstborn. He brought the first fruit. He didn't say, "Nah, I got this today, I'll do that. No. He brought the very, very best of what he had for the Lord. Now, we see it says God. But we know God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And if you look at, I believe it's John chapter 1. Is that right, Pat? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. 
Jesus was there when Cain and Abel brought their offerings. Again, are we bringing what's precious? Are we bringing what's the best? Or are we only bringing what's convenient? It's very important to to evaluate what you're doing. Are you doing it out of your heart? Or are you doing it out of your head? Because you don't want to do it out of your head. You, you really don't. Because if you're doing it out of your head, <clears throat> it's not valuable to God. If you look at what happened with Cain and Abel, pardon me, what you'll see is that the ground was cursed because of Cain. What he did for a living, what he did became extremely difficult. He had to toil at it. He was outside of the graces of God. Abel, on the other hand, what the Lord said about Abel after Cain killed him was his blood cries out from the ground. That precious blood of a child of God spilled needlessly on the soil cries out for eternity. And we see it when we look at the Word of God. It's been interesting for me of late. Uh, a lot of things have changed for me personally, for my wife and I, uh, with a position I've taken. And I'll tell you, there's some things that have happened that have just really changed my heart. And I'm going to tell you that outside these walls, there are orphans of God. Now, I'm not talking orphans who don't have parents. I'm not talking, you know, street kids, those kinds of things. All right? There are orphans, and I call them orphans because they don't know God. And because they don't have the Father, they're an orphan. These people come in every shape, size, form that you can imagine. They've been through good things, they've been through bad things. Some people have been through horrible things. And they believe where they're at is where they're supposed to be. But they don't know God. How precious it is to the Lord that we reach these people. That we don't leave them where they're at, but that we help them up and help them out. And I'm not talking financially or physically, but if we can't change their hearts spiritually, if we can't get them reborn, then anything we do for the soul or the body is a moot point. It's temporary. And it's subject to change. We all know the old adage, teach a man to fish, he'll, he'll live a long life. He'll be able to feed himself, right? But if you give him a fish, when that fish is gone, it's done. There's nothing else for them except the next person to beg from. When Peter and John went past the gate beautiful, and they saw the crippled man, and because he was crippled, he became a beggar. Okay. 
because of a physical circumstance, he became something less than human in the eyes of those around him. And Peter and John walking through the gate, they see him, he looks at them, he looks at them expectantly. He's been receiving coins from people as they walk in the gate. And he's looking at them expectantly. And Peter says the most wonderful thing. And we've said this before to people, but have we gone beyond? When you see a beggar on the street, or a vagrant, or whatever you want to call them, homeless person, somebody who is asking you for money, how many times have we said, well, I'm sorry, I don't carry cash. I don't have anything on me. In this day and age, a lot of us, we just carry our debit card everywhere we go. And so we don't carry cash. But then we leave it at that and we walk away. Peter didn't leave it at that. Peter said, no, I, all I got is my debit card. I can't help you today. Not that way. But I see you're expecting. I see your condition and the Lord's speaking to me. And I'm going to reach down. I'm going to grab your hand. You're going to take my hand expectantly and you're going to leap up, healed, delivered. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Do you know they gave that man his life back? They restored him to the proper position in life. And as he leapt up and went away, he left his cloak that denoted he was a beggar there behind him. He did not take that life with him anymore. We can have that impact on people day in and day out. God puts them before us. Are we willing to reach out to them? Are they precious enough to us to realize that they're precious to God? Can we share God's anointing with them? Or are we going to leave them there on the street begging? Now, I'm, I'm certain there are some who would rather be there. We're not going to bring everybody to the Christ. All you have to do is read the parable of the supper to understand that there's if my calculations are right, I'm at 25% who actually become good fertile soil. But these people, I have met people in my past month that just, I am totally amazed. Growing up in orphanages, doing disgusting things because it's what they were taught. They didn't know any better. Being in situations they don't need to be in because nobody showed them a better way. Nobody showed them Jesus. And there's plenty out there, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of people out there who will stand on the corners and preach hellfire and, and brimstone and you're going to burn in the lake of fire and all of this and, and try to scare people into Jesus. Fear has torment. Love does not. You can't fear people, scare people into Christ. But it's the love of Christ that's shed abroad in our hearts that will attract people. Amen. Amen. And it's important that we share that with people. And so the compassion, I'll tell you this, I spoke about this last week real briefly. Because we're all anointed. 
We're anointed in different ways for different purposes, for different callings. But there's a difference. When we read about Jesus talking about compassion, I'm a little bit off subject, but I'm going to bring it back to it. When we, we see Jesus talk about the compassion, compassion caused him to stop the funeral in name for the widow whose son had died. And he arrested a whole funeral process with one hand. Talk about power and authority. Glory to God. Because an overwhelming compassion for the woman and her situation caused him to do it. I'm here to tell you, it's not a compassion that we know in the worldly sense. It's not the empathy or the sympathy that we can have for others when we see them in a bad situation. This is a Holy Spirit-given compassion that is overwhelming. It will arrest you where you are and you will see things like you've not seen before. Sometimes it will bring you to tears because it's just overwhelming. It's like when God's love hits you out of the blue, you're having a bad day, whatever, and you're praying to the Lord, and all of a sudden His love hits you. And you hit your knees and you cry because His love is so strong, so overwhelming, you can't bear up under it. Compassion, God's compassion is that way. And that compassion will move you to do supernatural things because it's not your compassion, it's His. That's how Jesus had the power and the authority as a man walking in the earth to arrest a complete funeral process. And that wasn't the only time he moved out of compassion. There's several times he moved out of compassion. And he was anointed. Just as we're anointed. It didn't stop with him. It started. That anointing that God put on him it started with Jesus. But you know, he didn't keep it for himself. He shared it. He gave it to us and for every generation after him. For any who would believe on him. And it's just to me amazing. And so when the Lord showed me, when I was reading in Matthew 26, where this all started, and he showed me that precious gift that that woman brought, from what I understand, it was a year's wages in that day. In one gift. In one gift. Now think about it. The disciples couldn't get it into their thick skulls that Jesus was talking about his own death, burial, and resurrection coming. They weren't grasping it. Peter was so bold as to say, no, I'll go with you. John and James, sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, glory to God. Characters. I love it. I mean, it just, it amazes me. But they were like, yeah, we want to be, you know, seat number one, seat number two. We want to be right there with you. And Jesus said, can't you drink from the cup I drink from? And they thought they could. But do you know when everything went down, 
Everybody ran except John. John was the only one that stayed there with him the whole time through. Why? Because look at what John spoke about himself. There's another side note. What you speak about yourself, that's what's going to be. Okay? John spoke, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. I am the one Jesus loves. Repeatedly, just read through the New Testament. I am the one Jesus loves. Even one of the others, I think it was in Matthew, I may be mistaken on the book, referred to him as the disciple Jesus loved, leaned on his chest at the Last Supper. Okay? Peter, Peter did what Peter does. Peter acted out rationally. He whipped out his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to save Jesus from all these people. And he whacks off the ear of one of the guys, and Jesus had to put it back together and fix it. Do you know why it was important for Jesus to heal that man's ear? He was a servant of the high priest. If he had not been healed, delivered from that situation, and Peter delivered from that situation, Peter would have been stoned for assaulting the servant of the high priest. And we'd have no more disciple Peter, no more apostle Peter, no books from Peter. Jesus had to. So Jesus came to the rescue of a lot of people and he's, he's coming to our rescue. Glory to God. He, so why would we bring dollar store gifts to appease Jesus, to anoint Him with, to just say I love you, and not bring Him something precious? Why would we not make time for Him and anoint Him with our praise, our worship, why would we not lift him up? Like he lifts us up. And so it's very, very important. Evaluate what you bring. Not here. Obviously you bring it here. But when nobody's looking, when nobody sees you but God, what are you bringing to Jesus? Is it the last minutes of the day? Rushed, hurried, because you want to get to bed? Is it the first minutes of the day because you wake up and you go, Lord, God, you're on my mind. And you're on my heart. It's important that we evaluate these things and that we don't cheapen it. It's hard in this world because you can get busy. Just Getting to church on time can be a lot of work. Some of us have got to wake up and have an hour or two before we even attempt to put clothes on. <laughs> I like my coffee in the morning, sorry. You know, I like to have a little peace and quiet, a little time. Some people honestly can roll out of bed, have their clothes on and out the door in 10 minutes and I don't know how they do it, but they do it. But are we making time in there to say, Lord, let's talk. 
Or let's just sit together. Have you ever just sat in the presence of the Lord? And just bask in the peace that He brings you? You see, He anoints you with these things. You look at the fruit of the Spirit. He anoints you with these things. These are His characteristics. And He says, I want you to have it. Some mornings it may be peace. Some mornings He may anoint you with some patience. Right? Some mornings He may actually hold the clock for you so that you're not late to get to where you got to be. You may look up one moment and go, gosh, i got 10 minutes, and look up 10 minutes later and go, gosh, i got 10 minutes. Where'd the time come from? Don't ask. It just came. He gave it to you. It's His gift to you. You see, when you go back to faith, which is what caused the first woman to be saved, if you go back to faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is a substance. It's not visible, but it exists before anything material exists. It's of the Spirit because we are first and foremost of the Spirit. God is Spirit. He's not flesh and blood. Everything He does manifests first in the Spirit. And so when you look at faith, it's a substance that you can't see. The evidence of things hoped for. I heard somebody say recently that there are 7,000 promises of God in this book. 7,000 promises. Somebody tell me, what's God say about His promises? Yes and amen. That's the evidence of things hoped for. Because if you can witness it in the Word of God, happening in somebody else's life, there's evidence there that it can happen in yours. You may not be able to envision it in your life, but He does. And it's so very wonderful. So don't, don't cheapen what you do for the Lord. Give Him everything you got. That's what He wants. He wants all of your heart. Okay? And so, as you go out today, and you're among people, or maybe you're not among people. If you're not among people, take some time with the Lord. This is corporate gathering. Don't let it be your personal gathering. Let your personal time with the Lord be the personal time with the Lord. And just enjoy your time with Him. He has gifts for all of you. All of you. And don't be afraid to testify. It's just another side note. I was on uh, online this morning and I had a couple people reach out to me with some comments and sometimes people will have rude comments for you. But the Lord showed me their hearts and so when I spoke back to them, I spoke back differently than they spoke to me. Much like Jesus did when he was talking to the men who wanted to stone the adulteress. 
when they asked him a question, he just ignored them and he drew in the sand and then he got up and gave the answer God gave him. Well, I took my time and I let God speak into my heart so I could speak into them. And I did. And these men are men who have been in prison. These are men who are in prison. And people aren't reaching them. And they're tired of religion. They're tired of people disappointing them. But they have, two of them I spoke to, have such a strong testimony of what God has done in their lives, even though it was through a prison ministry. And it's amazing. And so, we can touch people. We don't turn aside what would happen to the beggar at the gate beautiful if Peter and John had just turned aside and walked in. Two answers. He either would not have been in the Word of God or God would have picked somebody else who would obey and send them. And so we have that opportunity. Who cares if you're number one pick, number two pick, number three pick? If you're the one who's obedient, guess what? It's accounted to you. And everything that they do, that person does, you have a part of that too. It's a beautiful thing. So when Jesus was anointed, in my eyes three times, it was a beautiful thing. Three people brought the most precious gift they had and anointed him with it. And he gave his most precious gift to us. His life. Yeah. Romans 8, 2. And I, I, I so enjoy this verse. Let me pull it up so I don't say it the wrong way. And I'll end with this. For the, spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. We have a corruption-free spirit in us. We have a conquering spirit, a victorious spirit, a spirit that defeated the enemy, now and forever. Glory to God. And he shows us through the word, we are the head, not the tail. We are the victor, not the victim. Glory to God, we're above, not beneath. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And he took our yoke and destroyed it and gave us his. And he walks with us. That's powerful. And so as you go forward today, I pray that the Lord God is with you strongly today and every day. He can strengthen us. He can quicken us. He can use us. And it's beautiful. So, uh, Ted, would you like to come up and close us in prayer? Glory to God. I hope you got something out of this today. Thank I really you. do. Praise you, Jesus.